as I've gotten like more serious about it, like fun looks a little different. It's more, you know, type two fun. Most importantly, because I am older, because I'm 34, I have like a grip on like a good perspective on like what is important and like what matters. Sometimes at least I can leave my ego behind. I have that maturity. And so I think with all those things, I'm able to be like, if this isn't fun, I'm not doing this because this is too hard of a way to make money and too hard of a way to live if it is not fun. So the second it is not fun, like I'm out. <laughs> What's up, everyone? That was Nell Rojas. I'm your host, Mario Fraioli, and you are listening to the Morning Shakeout Podcast. I am super excited to share this episode with all of you. I recently had a conversation with Nell Rojas, the sixth place finisher and top American at last fall's Boston Marathon, which still feels really weird to say, by the way, and she's getting ready to line up for it again when it takes place this year on April 18th. We covered a lot in this one. Nell filled me in on where she's at in her Boston preparation and how it differs from her approach last fall. We talk about the role running has played in her life and how it's evolved over the years. We discussed identity and why runner isn't even one of the first things that comes to mind when Nell introduces herself. She told me about her relationship to her dad, the legendary Rick Rojas, who is also her coach. We talked coaching and what she's learned from the amateur athletes that she works with and a lot more. Before we dive in, a big thank you to New Balance for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you're looking for a go-fast shoe for workouts and maybe even racing, look no further than the Fuel Cell Rebel V2. I absolutely love this shoe. It's lightweight, it's low to the ground, and incredibly lively. It is just so fun to run in. I ripped the track workout in it this morning, in fact. The Fuel Cell Rebel V2 is available in both men's and women's sizes on newbalance.com or at your local run specialty retail store. Check them out and give them a try today. This episode is also brought to you by my friends at Precision Fuel and Hydration, who have a range of tools and products to help you personalize your fueling and hydration strategy so that you can perform at your best. Here's the deal. Everyone sweats differently, and the amount of fuel that we require varies depending on factors like the duration and intensity of our activity, so a one-size-fits-all approach to fueling and hydration just doesn't cut it. Head to precisionfuelandhydration.com and use their free online sweat test and quick carb calculator to understand your fluid, electrolyte, and carbohydrate needs during training and racing. Then book a free one-on-one video consultation with the team to refine your hydration and fueling strategy for your next race. I cannot stress enough how important and valuable this can be as we get into the spring racing season here over these next few months. I've done the consultation myself. I've been a devotee to Precision Fuel and Hydration's products for a few years now, and their team has helped ensure that my hydration and fueling strategies for training and racing are rock solid. As a listener of the show, you can get 15% off your first order of fueling and hydration products by using the code TMS22 when you check out at precisionfuelandhydration.com. 
That's capital T, capital M, capital S, 2-2 when you check out at precisionfuelandhydration.com. And last but not least, member and lottery registration for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution Peachtree Road Race in Atlanta, Georgia is going on right now. There is only one Peachtree. This classic American road race will take place on Monday, July 4th. Atlanta Track Club members receive guaranteed and lowest price entry. You can join the ATC today, even if you don't live in Atlanta, and then sign up for the Peachtree and guarantee that you'll get in. Non-members must enter through the lottery and will be notified if selected on April 4th. In-person registration is only open until March 31st, so get on it today. Virtual registration is open until May 31st. You can register today at ajc.com slash peachtree. That's ajc.com slash peachtree. Okay, that's it for the introduction and all the ads. Please enjoy this uninterrupted conversation with the awesome Nell Rojas. You are an incredibly busy woman. It was hard to pin you down for this conversation. You're training at a high level. You're coaching and running a business, amongst other things. What does life look like for you right now, about a month out from the Boston Marathon? Um, yeah, as you've probably <laughs> experienced, it. <laughs> right now, I'm just trying my hardest to um, put my blinders on and <laughs> say no to everything. Um, cause, cause yeah, I'm, um, you know, it's, I'm, I was really lucky. I went to training camp in Phoenix, um, last month and it was awesome. Cause we were in like the middle of nowhere, um, in Goodyear Phoenix. And there was like, you know, it was just like a suburbia with like chain restaurants and I didn't know anyone. Um, I made one mistake and told one person I was there <laughs> that lived there. And I was like, ah, I shouldn't have done that. Um, so basically, you know, I'm, I'm really, really trying to like put training first, which is something that's very, very new to me, um, and hard for me to do, um, as like a pretty big hustler my whole life. Um, so, so right now, I just got back from Boston. I got to run the course, which was like super, super awesome. Um, because now I know what the hills look like. Um, I did some media appearances um, while I was there. Um, I have, you know, I've, I had a race the week before that. I have a race next weekend. So it's basically like, you know, trying to focus on training, um, trying to be a good coach, um, and trying to schedule some like downtime in there um, as well. Talk about that shift of putting your own training first, because you didn't have a sponsorship contract until after Boston this past fall. And I imagine signing that contract has just made things easier for you from a financial perspective. Maybe you don't have to coach as many athletes, work as much mm -hmm. in general. Has that been hard for you to be like, oh, I, I don't have to do all of that now. I can focus on myself and do what I need to do to train hard, recover well, et cetera. Yeah, it's been, it's been very hard. Um, and I like continuously have to tell myself like, you know, I don't get to do this for the rest of my life. 
Um, and, and, you know, and like, I will honestly say like, as in a monetary sense, I think that training right now, saying no to clients, saying no to anyone I have to like meet one-on-one because I used to do a lot of like strength training one-on-one, run coaching one-on-one. I think monetarily saying no to all of that, even though, you know, I will, yeah, making less money. I do have Adidas, which has really helped, like you said, um, will pay off for me more in the long run than, you know, having that work and making more money now. Um, so I keep telling myself like, be patient. Um, you know, this is the time for you to focus and like really like do a hundred percent, um, as an athlete and, um, you know, with four and a half weeks coming up, leading up to Boston, I'm like, this is, this is the time to like really dial it in. Um, so I have to remind myself that daily. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Do you find some comfort in having other stuff to do outside of training? Cause you still do coach some people and have kept some of those other obligations where a lot of full-time pro athletes, I mean, they can just train recover all day and not worry about having to do, you know, other things from a a work standpoint. Is it helpful for you to keep some of that just in the mix? Um, yeah, I mean, it is easy to like, I get like, almost like (laughs) when I have to work, I'm like, ah, I'm like mad that I have to work, you know? Um, but I, I do remind myself, like, I do love my athletes and I love coaching and I really like want to set myself up well for when I'm done running to be an amazing coach, hopefully at the collegiate or the elite level. So like to me, having that going, continuing my research is, is very important to me. It's very interesting to me. Um, and I think, yeah, I, I like, I think it fulfills me in a different kind of way that my, you know, professional athlete life fulfills me because I think it's really important to be involved in the community and involved and inspire other people in different ways. So, you know, I am happy that I do it. Is it, is it easy to be happy? Like when you have to like go straight to co- like I coached at 6am this morning. Um, no, sorry. 7am this morning. Um, was I like, thrilled to like have to stand out there in the cold and then get my run in like no I wasn't but like at the end of the day like yeah I like loved coaching the women that were there are you surprised at all to be where you are right now in your mid-30s as a professional athlete you just ran best marathon of your life to date Less than six months ago in Boston, you are going to step to the start line here again in a little over a month. You are one of America's top marathoners right now. Do you have to pinch yourself at any point or is, you know, is this somewhere you expected to be in your running career at this point of your life? Um, I'd say both. Yes, I have to pinch myself every day, um, especially you know, like now that I can actually say that I'm a professional runner with my Adidas contract and, you know, like I, I, and like being able to like have running, which is my passion as my like main priority. I'm like every single day, I'm like, holy shit, this is insane, you know? And it's, it's like, 
it is. It's it's crazy. Um, but also like I, I I'm not surprised. Like I grew up um a, a, a good athlete and I, I grew up like knowing that I could be good at what I'm doing. And you know, I am I am new to this elite world, but like I always like watch you know, these ladies run and be like, why? Like, I know I can do that. Like, why am I not there? And I knew, and, and like, inside, like something inside of me, like, like, I just like, I should be here. And I've always known that I should be here. What do you think has slowed your progress to getting here? Because it wasn't <laughs> really until, I mean, you ran your first marathon. I think it was CIM 2018, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. And yeah. 231, really solid debut. Then you went 228 at Grandma's. I mean, Boston just less than six months ago, another personal best, 227 and some change, top American, top 10 at that race. Um, yeah, I guess what, not that like what got in the way of it, but what, what yeah. stalled your, you know, stalled your development to now where you're, you're in your mid thirties and really starting to have success and hopefully continue to have success? Yeah, that's a good question. And I like, I, I honestly, I don't know. I think about this and I'm like, okay, you know, obviously I want to be, you know, I want to be an Olympian. I want to go to the Olympics. Um, I want to do well at, at Boston. Like I want to podium at Boston and, and guess what? Like it might not be this year. I understand that because I understand like this long-term development and like what it takes and like how, lucky you have to be on that day. So, you know, I'm not saying like, yeah, would I love to podium at Boston this year? Yes, but it might not be this year. But um, I, I, so I have these big goals and I'm like, you know, I see these, these women like doing well, like these American women. And I'm like, and I look and like, I do have to be like, okay, but they were like, you know, all Americans in college. I was not an all American in college. And then they won, you know, this and this. And I'm like, do I have that natural ability? You know, like, do I have that in me? Um, because why, yeah, you're right. Like, why did it take me until I was 30 to be a competitive athlete? And one of the reasons it, it might be because that was the first time I tried a marathon. That was the first time I tried a half marathon. Um, so, and that's, that's my distance, you know, but um, I just like a, a lot of things. Like if you look at pictures of me in college, like I was still like developing a lot. I was, I still had like tons of like baby fat on me, you know, like I was just like not developed enough, I guess. And I think because I just like, I never stopped. Like I just continued, continued, built, 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 built every year. And for some reason, finally, um, my body was like, okay, like, sure, go ahead, I guess. <laughs> what is it about the longer distances, half marathon, marathon specifically, that clicked for you? Or when you felt like, yep, these are my events. This is what I was meant to do as a runner. Um, it was only at that CIM race where... Um, you know, I had trained a little bit for that race, but I was really just having fun at that point. You know, like my dad had always coached me. We were always just like, you know, I'd always done workouts, but it was more just like, um, 
this is, we just loved it, you know, and, um, I would do local races, but I guess it was CIM in 2018 where my dad was like, I want you to jog this race because like you do have a 10 year career if you want one. So just like figure out what a marathon is. Let's figure out like, if you're any good at it, let's like, just get some experience, whatever. And so he was like, I want you to like go out at like 615 or something pace. And I was like, yeah, it's not going to happen, but okay. You know? (laughs) And, um, and so basically that race, like I felt good. I was cruising. Um, I had no idea what a good marathon time was. Literally. It was just like, I was just running. I was just like feeling my body being intuitive about it. Um, you know, I got faster every single 5k in that race. And I think after that, like, I was like that, like, first of all, I loved it. It was fun. Second of all, um, apparently 231, you know, at that time was an A, a standard Olympic trials qualifying time. Um, and like, I knew after running that, I was like, oh, I could run way faster than that. So I think all those things combined just like set me up for like a lot of passion and excitement to move forward with the marathon. As you've gotten faster and experienced more success, how have you maintained that fun element of it? You just described how you went into that race in 2018. Like you were just having fun in training. There was no pressure. No one really knew who you were. It was your debut marathon. And since then, you've continued to get faster. You've had more and more success. How do you keep fun in the mix? Um, yeah, I think it's, you know, like if you, if you ask my boyfriend, like it was a lot more fun back then, like training for CIM, we were, he was living in New York at that point. I was in Boulder and like, I would skip runs, you know, I'd be like, yeah, I'll stay out late tonight. You know, we're going to shows, we're doing whatever. And, um, and it didn't matter. And like, as I've gotten like more serious about it, like, fun looks like looks a little different it's more you know type two fun and but i think most importantly is that like because i am older because i'm 34 um i have like a grip on like a good perspective on like what is important and like what matters and i can like you know sometimes at least i can leave my ego behind i have that maturity and so i think with all those things, I'm able to be like, if this isn't fun, I'm not doing this because this is too hard of a way to make money and too hard of a way to live if it is not fun. So the second it is not fun, like I'm out. (laughs) Do you feel like at this point of your career, going into a race like Boston a month from now where you're coming off of last year's race as the top American. Now people know who you are. You have a professional contract. You're going to be at the elite athlete press conference. Does it feel like more pressure on your shoulders heading into this year's race versus any other marathon that you've lined up for? Um, yeah, I think there's more pressure. Um, but I also think there's better competition at this race coming up. So I think like, it's very like, like, you know, yes, I have a lot of people rooting for me, which is always scary because you don't want to let them down. But then also it's like, okay, but yeah, there's like a Molly Seidel's running, Sarah Hall's running. Um, you know, there's a lot of really good people. So it's like, I know, I personally know that I will run faster 
Um, I, I can't control. I don't know how those girls training's going. I don't know what they're doing, but as long as I'm getting better, I'm going to be happy because as I said before, like this is not my last marathon, you know, like I'm 34. I have six or seven more years in this sport. So as long as I'm, I'm getting faster, like I can be happy with it. So the pressure to me is a little bit off my shoulders. Where does pressure come from for you? Is it from within? Is it external or is it some blend of the two? Oh, I think like on my bad days, you know, like on my worst days where I let for whatever reason, I'm like feeling insecure, whatever on those worst days, it's coming from outside and it's like, Oh my gosh, like, you know, this, these people aren't gonna like love me anymore. You know, I don't even know these Instagram people. Who cares? You know, and then on my best days, um, on my best days, it's like, it's me. It's, it's, I, I want to make sure it's more like, it's more like, did you do the best you could do at that workout today? And there's pressure to not leave the little things behind. Or there's pressure in every workout I go into to like take the most and make the most of that because there's only so much amount of time. Bringing it back to Boston, going into this year's race, having competed there last year, running the course, getting a feel for what it's all about. What were your major takeaways and what, if anything, have you changed in your approach to this year's event? Um, yeah, major takeaways. Um, I mean, one thing that was huge was that like, I can run with those girls. Like to me, like I would have never believed that had I not been able to actually do it and be in that front pack. Um, and so the, the takeaway there is like, you never know what's going to happen on that day and you have to put yourself in the mix and like, you know, like everyone's human in that pack. People drop out. Um, some people have great days. Um, so that was a great takeaway I had, um, and then, um, you know what got me? Like, there's no way you can understand that course until you run it. Um, like, I had heard so much about it, obviously, from all these people. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, downhills. There's some hills. Most people were like, the hills are not that bad. Um, and I'm like, oh, okay, well, they're not that bad then, you know? Um, but it, you have to do specific Boston training. It is not marathon training. If it were marathon training, I would be doing speed work. I would be doing a lot of flat, hard stuff. This is not marathon training. This is Boston-specific training. So this is downhill running, beat up your quads, and then it is hills. It is hills because that is what's going to make the difference. That's going to be the limiting factor, and that's when there's going to be a move made. Um, and so you know, you have to almost like I have to sacrifice my speed, which is like, uh, to me, just like, I'm just like, so upset about it. Because like, I'm watching all these girls run fast on the track. And I'm like, Oh, my gosh, like, I am, I could, I'm like, so far from that. But I have to put it in perspective and understand that 
but but yeah like i am strong on the hills and i can destroy those hills right now so you know it's it's a give and take after Boston last year, I imagine you debriefed with your dad, who you mentioned has been coaching you for a long time at this point. In that debrief, did you guys decide to do anything different in training to prepare for this year's race? I mean, last year went really well. You had a solid result. But like you said, that course experience and seeing it and actually running on it changes things, um, changes your perspective, and it, it really let you know like what what you're in for so i'm interested to hear from you if from a training perspective you tweaked anything in the build-up to this year's race versus last year yeah and that's good like you know you have to every year you're right like you have to sit down you have to assess like what went really well well leading up to boston everything went really well last year you know i felt really good i won some great races um and then Boston, also, I got really lucky. I felt good. I had a good race. Could I have run better? Yes, I could have run better. How and why? Well, my quads were so beat up by the time I got to the hills um, because of the downhill. You know, we thought we had done enough downhill training, but in reality, we hadn't because I we didn't know how my specific body would react. Um, and that's how my body reacted was just like pounding of the quads. Um, and then, you know, like more specific, like specific because I have been on the course now and I know that the second hill takes me 90 seconds. The third hill takes me 60 seconds. The fourth hill takes me two minutes. So you can really bring that home try to get those, those like that 20, that those legs that you'll feel and then practice that super, super specific, um, Mer uh, Boston Hill course. Um, so we've, we've added more of that stuff. Um, I'm running more mileage and I mean, that's like also just like every single like year I've just like added mileage and mileage and it feels good. So those basically that's, I think that's, that's about it. You mentioned how you just got back from Boston and were able to run the entire course. I'm curious when you just went back there, did it look different to you when you weren't racing it or just seeing it for the second time? Had your perspective changed from last fall? Um, it was, I, I had never, I, I had never seen in anything that I saw this past weekend. Um, so yeah, it was a whole, like, I got to look at the course. I got to see the course. I was that whole race. I was like, what is happening? And I was honestly just focused on getting out of the front. I was like, I was just like, constantly just trying to get out of the lead um so i didn't get to see it um and i was almost just like couldn't even feel it so this time like i paid attention to like okay like what is this downhill because we got to drive it backwards first mm -hmm. and that's when you like it actually like you're like oh we are going uphill right now um and then i got to run it twice i got to do two really good workouts on it so um I could, yeah, manipulate my watch. I could be like, okay, from, you know, mile 17 to mile 20, that took me this long. This is exactly how long the hills were. Um, and yeah, like I told my, actually my dad and I were talking, I think yesterday and I was like, well, okay, last year the winner made her move at heartbreak. And I think she was at the, I think we were almost at the top of heartbreak. And he was like, no, she made her move on the second hill. 
And I was like, what? In my mind, she had made her move at heartbreak. And then I was like thinking about it. And I was like, oh, wow, you're right. Like that wasn't heartbreak at all. And I thought every hill that I went up was heartbreak at the time. I was like, ah, oh, here we are. And then I was like, oh, here we are. And I was like, oh, this must be it. So um, just the whole thing, um, I like just scoured this weekend, which was so cool. You mentioned a little while ago how your big takeaway from last year's race was that you could compete with these women. And you were leading a lot of that race, like the first 17 miles yeah. or so. And you mentioned just now how you wanted to to get out of there. I'm, I'm curious, like when you were in that position during the race, were you surprised, scared, confident, like some mix of all of those things? Take me through your, your mindset when you're in it and you're like, holy shit, I'm leading the Boston <laughs> Marathon. <and laughs> yeah. I, didn't really expect to be here at this point. Yeah, that was basically it. Um, it was like, you know, almost right away, I just got shot out the front. Um, this was my first, you know, major marathon. Um, and so I was like, first of all, like I couldn't tell how fast we were going. I had no idea. It felt like we were running 630 pace. So I was like, oh my gosh, like we are jogging. And I'm going to run, you know, like I knew what, what kind of shape I was in. I knew I could run. I was in like at least 225, 226 shape, right? So I was like, okay, we're jogging right now. And then all of a sudden I was in the front and I was like, what? Like, this is what it takes to lead the Boston Marathon? Like, I was like, this is insane. And then, you know, I was just like staring at the camera and I was like, hi everyone like you're welcome like i told my friends i was thinking my friends i was like they are probably so stoked right now because they just get to watch me they're probably freaking out so like i was like okay that's kind of cool and then it was basically like i got it because i knew i knew a move was going to be made and i knew it was not smart to be in the front and i knew i wanted to slow down and get in the back but it just like wasn't it wasn't gonna happen it was i would slow down the pack and back of me would slow down we'd be jogging and then i'd be shot out the front um but it was a really weird um it was weird it's still weird it's still very weird <laughs> i mean boston's really unique in that there are no pacers it is a racer's race and it can go either way some years you have people who just take it out crazy hard and the folks behind are like, ah, maybe they'll come back, maybe not. Um, and then there are other years where it feels like a jog up front, then all of a sudden there's a big move made and mm -hmm. everything just explodes. And you just mentioned that was your first ever major marathon. When mm -hmm. the moves were made, did they surprise you or throw you off guard at all? Nope, nope. I, I knew like historically, you know, like 60% of the moves in Boston are made on, on heartbreak. Um, I thought we were on heartbreak. So that's <laughs> where she went. Um, and I was like, and that's when the pack broke up, you know, she went, there was, um, four, five other girls who kind of stayed in a, no, four other girls who stayed in a pack behind her, one other straggler, and then me, another straggler. And I was waiting for it. I was expecting it. Um, I just kept telling myself, like, come on, go with them, go with them, go with them. Because 
you know they're going to slow down. You know it's a move made and you have to keep up and you have to have that acceleration. And then that, and then in a mile or two, like they will slow down to the pace that you were just going. Um, so I was just like trying to get there, but I, my legs, my quads were shot. How do you navigate that in the moment? And what I mean by that is responding to someone else's move and being competitive and knowing like, okay, that's the podium right there, or this is my top 10 spot. And then also just controlling what you can control and running your own race. Yeah. Because like when that's happening and you know, you're, it's tough. Your mind is telling you, your mind's like, stop. Your mind's like, give up. Your mind's like, no, it doesn't matter. You don't care. It doesn't like, you know, you come up with all these excuses as to why it does not matter. You're like, I've got parents who love me. And then you're like, and I don't care about running. Like I'll get another job and then I'll travel. And then, you know, and so there's so many things telling you, to stop and and like you have to like understand that those those thoughts are going to come in and then just be like just keep i mean like my strategy is like left foot right foot left foot right foot and then knowing because inevitably not inevitably but most of the time like you feel really bad but you'll come out of it and then you'll be like oh my gosh okay i feel okay again i can run again and then you'll feel bad again and you'll be like, I can't, I can't, I can't finish. I have to, I have to give up. I have to step off. And then you have to just know that like, okay, you're going to get through this. You're going to feel good again. And you do. I appreciate you sharing that. Cause I think there are going to be a lot of people listening to this who are an hour or two hours slower than you who in their own way, they're not trying to win the race or get on the podium, but they feel the exact same thing. I mean, mm-hmm. and I've, I've felt all those things in every marathon that I've ever run where I'm like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done. Yeah. I'm never doing it again. <laughs> yeah, this and, is stupid. Yeah, this is totally <laughs> stupid. And then 10 minutes later, I'm like, this is so easy. Like you were just yeah. like, like, this is what it takes to lead the Boston marathon. Like, yeah, you know, feels like six thirty miles. Great. Sign me up. I'll do this every year. Um, right. So I appreciate you sharing that because I think there are a lot of people who look at elites such as yourself and are like, they're doing something completely different than me. And it's like, they might be running faster than you, but they're experiencing the same emotions. They're running the same course. And a lot of the same things are going through their head. Like those same like micro decisions that you just talked about. Absolutely. And yeah, it's, it's the exact same. And you know, the, the thing that, because I'm a coach, I get this all the time. Everyone's like, well, I just, I just, I just don't feel good. Like I just lose it at mile 20. And I'm like, that's a marathon. Like that's a marathon for you. You know, like it is that's when the race starts, you know, and you have to embrace that feeling and you have to understand that it's going to come and accept it. It's not like, cause you're just going to go faster. It's not going to go away. That feeling's not going to go away. It's not going to, mar- we all know marathons aren't going to get easier. Yeah. You know, running's not getting easier. We're just getting faster. Yeah. I, I mean that <laughs> I also coach many age group athletes. I've heard a lot of the same things. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you, you hear it all the time. They're like, well, I just, I, I didn't feel good. And yeah. I, I tell people all the <laughs> time, like, like, no. um, well, you know, we don't train to feel good. We train right. you so that you have the tools <laughs> to keep going when you feel bad. Like you can still feel terrible and have a great race. And I think 
people need to hear that from athletes such as yourself because I think they watch you do it and it looks really easy and you make yeah. it look easy because you're really well trained but to just get inside your head a little bit know that it's it's really tough and you're like yeah I just want to step off the course and like as you said like go get a, a real job or something else at, yeah, like, at this point yeah. but everyone everyone experiences those things absolutely and you know one of the something that I just like I continue to remind myself because um, Colin Benny, who was the first American male mm -hmm. um, last year, um, we were talking the other day and he was like, he didn't feel good for 10 miles. The first, the first 10 miles, which never is good. You know, like you start a marathon and you feel bad already. You're like, Oh boy. Like a long day. This is, yeah, this is not my day. It's going to be a long day, but he like a great, a great lesson. Like he was just like, kept at it, you know, like ran his own within him, kept at it. And then all of a sudden at 10, he was like, all right, I'm feeling pretty good, you know? And, and he got through it. And it's that mental work of just like, you can still have a great day, not feeling good. Yeah. We all have. have. Yeah. You just have to stay in it. Yeah. I'm curious, has working with non-elite athletes, non-professional athletes expanded your mindset a bit or just understanding of running and what other runners go through and actually helped you as an athlete? Oh, I'm, I'm sure tons. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure a lot. Um, yeah, they do, but it's, it's actually also like, there are, there are a lot of similarities, but there are also a lot of differences that like that I have with my amateur athletes where I have to I'm like whoa they are way off in the way they are thinking <laughs> like like or they're approaching training or what they think or like you know I'm like oh my gosh like I cannot believe like like I like to me because I grew up a runner it's, it's like almost intuitive or I don't remember when I learned these things, you know? Um, so of course I learned a lot. Um, of course I learned a lot and it would be cool if I could say like the, the most thing I've learned from them. Um, but I have to think about that. Okay. What are some of the biggest differences that you had just mentioned a second ago? Um, that's funny. Um, I think maybe a lot of it is like an understanding of when you're going to race well and when you're not going to race well, an understanding of expectations from yourself, an understanding of when to take it easy, when to go hard, um, timelines of events, um, where I'm like, Oh no, no, no. Like, we are like, we are far off from that, you know, like things where I'm like, no, you have to develop this. Um, what else? Um, oh man, there's so many concepts, but those are the main ones I would say. Bringing it back to you as an athlete, when you step to the start line of a marathon, what is the best tool that you bring with you to the start line? Mm. I think probably 
the ability to leave my ego behind. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's like I said before, it's not every, every single time that this can happen because we're all human and like, yeah, sometimes I care. And, um, but, and, and honestly, just like understanding that I'm going to do my best and that's all I can ask for. Some days it's going to be great. Some days it's not, I'm not going to let that not let me get to the starting line. Um, I would say that would be the biggest thing. Okay. Going back to something you said at the beginning of this conversation, you mentioned how you've been a hustler your entire life. Mm-hmm. Where does that come from? Um, I, that's a good question. I've never been asked that, but I've always, I've always expected a lot from myself probably. And I've, I always like, I always like, I was always very, I would say like talented growing up. Like I was a really good basketball player. I was a really good runner. Um, I like connected well with people. And I think when you have that, like I grew up, I was one, I was like, you know, like a lot of kids who were like, I want to make the Olympics, you know? And then you go through this phase where talent doesn't get you as far and you're more normal and you real you know, there's like, you get rejected from everything and you're just like a normal person. And so I think like, I always like, I didn't want that. Like I always wanted to be like an Olympian or like an amazing, like a really a good coach. Um, and I think I knew like to, be able to get there. Like I had to like research, I had to make connections. I had to do all these odd jobs. I had to train. I had to, um, go through all these different things. Um, because I think like I'm lucky enough, really, really lucky where I've had all these amazing opportunities because of all the networking, because of my dad, who I, you know, I grew up in Boulder, part of the running community. And so I, I knew like, I can, I can like get to these places I want to go if I just like keep working hard. Um, and my, my attitude has shifted. Like now I understand more of like working smart rather than just like working all the time. Going kind of a little further down this road, maybe it's a bit of a, a diversion, but from what I, I know about you, you grew up in a running household. I mean, you mentioned your dad many times. I do want to talk about him, but I mean, he was one of the best runners in the country, held a world record for a while. He's coached you for a long time. You ran collegiately at Northern Arizona. I know that you were doing triathlon and some obstacle racing stuff for a while. And then basically starting with CIM in 2018 have really just blossomed in the marathon. And I'm interested in how your relationship to running the sport, the pursuit of it, the activity has evolved over the course of your lifetime. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Um, you know, I think it's, it's, um, as a female high school runner with a little bit of success 
early on, you know, in your early teens, um, my dad and I always say like, that is the worst thing that could ever happen to a talented female runner, because then it just becomes pressure and you're so young, you can't, you don't know how to deal with it. And then your parents, you know, you get lucky if you have parents who don't go crazy, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I did, I was like, I was never really, really good as a, um, as a, I was good. I was, I was good for Boulder high school, but I never won a state title. I never went to nationals. Um, so I think I was really lucky where my dad didn't pressure me. The only thing I re- I can remember where I was like, Ooh, my God, is that when he, he got mad at me because I was too nervous and I didn't start a race. Cause I was just too nervous. And he was like, don't ever do that again. And don't ever drop out. I don't think I've ever dropped out, but like, I just like that today still haunts me. Like I will never drop out of a race. Cause I would, I would like let my dad down so bad, but got lucky because I have amazing parents who never put any pressure on me they just let me have fun, play basketball, play with my friends, do whatever, you know, now it's different. Now in Boulder, if you're a good athlete, like you turn into an adult right away. I was lucky. I just got to play. Um, and so, you know, like I kind of suffered that, like going through puberty being like, Oh, I suck, you know? And then I walked on to NAU, um, loved it, loved running by the time I was, you know, but I still just wanted to have fun. And then by the time I was, um, graduated, I hated running. And I was like, I'm never going to run a step in my life. Like, and then I found luckily, like, again, like I graduated, came back to Boulder. My dad was like, I think you'd be a great triathlete. And I was like, yeah. And that reignited my passion for training. Like I was 100% in just like loved it. Um, and then once that fizzled out, I got to run again. And, and that was like, awesome. There was no pressure on me, you know, like I'd get nervous at the local meets, but like whatever. And then, you know, I think I've had a really healthy and luckily good relationship with running where, um, I've just been able to have fun with it. Do you think you're at a point of your life now that even when your competitive career is over, running will always be a part of it to some degree? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I have two older brothers and the oldest one, you know, he probably runs five days a week. He's a professor at NYU. Um, he, my dad still coaches him. He trains for, he's like, they pick odd goals. They're like, he's like, I want to run a five minute mile or whatever. And, and he still trains and loves it. And it's just like part of who we are. And then my, my, the middle brother, oh, same thing. He lives in Paraguay, but he picks like local five Ks and just like, we all just like have it in our blood to just to, to train and, and it makes us feel better. At the end of the day, why do you run? Oh uh, yeah. And, and that's also an evolving thing. You know, it's always for, it's always been, you know, I, I love to, to push my limits. Like I said, like I want to be, the best. I've always wanted to be the best. I always know I have this potential that I want to reach. Um, I'm a driven, you know, more of a type A kind of person. Um, and you know, and that that's evolved as I went to like being like, Oh wow. Like I'm at a point where I can like 
inspire a, a very important group of women for me. And so I'm like, okay, now like that comes into play. Um, you know, I'm Latina. That's really important for me to show up there. Um, I am a strong female. I don't fit the, you know, like the body image. Um, and then, and so like, I think it, it, it goes back and forth between those two things. It just continually evolves for you. Exactly. Yeah. I get to help people now through running. I get to travel through running. Um, so, yeah. I'm interested in how you got your start in coaching. I know you studied exercise science at NAU. Your dad has been a coach for a long time. When did the bug bite you? Oh, um, I think I've always wanted to be a coach. Um, but I mean, I got forced into it when I graduated from high school. I, I've been coaching since I was 17. Um, basically like my dad was like, okay, and now you're going to help me with our kids program. Um, like every summer coming back from, um, NAU from Flagstaff, I would coach in the summers. Um, and basically he'd be like, um, okay, lead drills. Okay. Here's the workout. Here's what you're going to do, you know? And then from there, it just like really evolved naturally. People would ask me to coach them. Um, and then, you know, it got to a point where like I was an EMT for a while cause I wanted to go back to PT school or PA school or some kind of school. And then I was just like, I have to quit my EMT job because like I I'm doing like, I'm doing what I love. I'm getting more clients and I don't have time for my EMT job. And so it was really like a natural thing, um, that I'm just like, so insanely lucky to do. You mentioned how down the road you would like to coach high school, college, maybe elite athletes. What is it about coaching that appeals to you specifically? Um, I don't want to coach high school <laughs> just to clear that one up. Done that. Um, I think it is, you know, my, I think it's my passion for running with my passion for working with people, with my passion for like finding people's potential. Um, I really like the science of it, but I also really like the art of it. For me, everything I do is like, like I wish I were like artistic, artistic, but like coaching and training for me is my art. It's the way I express myself. It's the way that I get to be creative and I get to help people and do it in my own way. So I think um, that's like what I really love about it. I, I love hearing that. And this is very selfish of me to hijack the conversation at this point, but yeah, I don't no. have a background in exercise science. I have an understanding of basic physiology and all mm -hmm. of that, but I, I'm a creative person. I write, I host this podcast that's been you know, a, a parallel, I guess, career track of mine along with coaching. But I've always thought of coaching as a creative expression, which mm -hmm. just doesn't click with a lot of other coaches. They're like, no, it's it's not really creative at all. Like, this is the program. They do the program. If they do the program, they have results. And here we go. And for mm -hmm. me, like when I'm designing a program or just working with an athlete, it does feel like an act of creativity because you're like, well, let me, what happens if I, if I like take this workout and we do it in reverse, you know, type of thing. Like, let's just mm -hmm. sort of like see rather than following a, you know, a set formula and knowing like, okay, if I do A and B, 
you know, see is going to be the result. So I, I appreciate that perspective yeah. from you because I haven't heard many other coaches talk about it in that way. Oh, absolutely. I mean, every single one of your athletes is a completely different athlete in person and you have to be creative. 100%. You can't just apply a formula to everyone. That doesn't make any sense. I'd love to talk to you a bit about identity. We've talked about you as an athlete, as a coach. You mentioned how through a lot of what you do, you want to be a role model for other women, other muscular women, Latinas. How do you identify? Um, that's a good question. Like, if someone were to ask me, like, okay, what, like, what are three words that like describe you? Like, runner would definitely not be one that pops up. Like, I wouldn't be runner. That, like, um, and I, I don't. I, I guess I, I guess I don't know how I identify. I think I know like how I would like to identify. Like, I think like my like. I would, I, so it's, it's, it's like complicated because one of the most important things to me is that I grew up Latina, right? But I grew up in Boulder. So I grew up, my dad's um, from New Mexico. He's met with Mexican heritage and he grew up in a Mexican, a Mexican family in Los Alamos. Um, and they were taught to be white, right? Because Los Alamos, even though it's in New Mexico, is actually an all-white town. They have the labs there, highest per capita PhD, very rich. Um, so they were taught to be white. So, but then of course, like my dad, like a super, uh, very like philosophical, very smart, very like um, cultured, very like, um, so he and his siblings, like they all actually like had to like go back and relearn their, you know, some of their Mexican heritage and their roots and kind of like try to identify more with that because they were proud of that. Whereas their parents weren't. Mm. Um, and so I think he, you know, he did his best at like trying to like raise us like that. But my, my mom is white and, um, we grew up in Boulder, which is white. It's white. It's all white. Um, but there's, there's actually a very, there's actually, sorry, there is a Mexican population here, um, which I went to bilingual school my whole life and kind of like really did get into that. And so, but as I've gotten older and I, it's just easier to, to, to have this, like more of this, you know, Caucasian, um, kind of, um, whatever, or cause that's what's surrounding you. But I, you know, like I really am passionate about the Latina culture, the Latino culture and supporting that and being part of it. Um, but I think I need to do a better job at that. Um, so that, there's the answer to that kind of question. <laughs> and then, you know, the other thing that's really important to me is, um, that like I identify as like a very, um, strong female, um, leader, I guess. Um, and that's more important to me than like being like just a runner. Like the worst thing to me would be like just being a runner, like, Oh, she's a runner. <laughs> that would kill me. <laughs> I really appreciate that answer and just the well 
roundedness of it. Because for a lot of people that I have on this podcast, if I ask them that question, I'd say 90% of the time, runner is one of the first things that comes out of their mouth. And there's nothing wrong with that. But you right. yep. were thinking through that as you answered the question. It was really interesting to like just just kind of like be there with you as you sort of like work through that and where you ended up landing, I thought was really beautiful. So thank you for mm -hmm. sharing that. Mm -hmm. A couple more things before we wrap up here. You've mentioned your dad many times throughout this conversation. He is a legend in his own right. I really should have him on the podcast because I've heard him tell stories before and I feel like we could probably go for, for mm -hmm. hours. But mm -hmm. I'm interested in what your relationship to him is like because he is your father, but he has also been your coach for a long time. And I imagine also a mentor in a way, because you started coaching with him, like you said, when you got out of high school. So I'm interested in what your relationship with him is like and how it's maybe evolved over the years. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we grew up with a very typical um, relation, you know, like father-daughter, like he would take me to the gym and we'd practice basketball. You know, he'd, um, I, he was the, the guy that, or the, the parent that would get cocoa puffs for me at the store, you know, like, so very typical. Um, and then, you know, he actually like was pretty, pretty, pretty good at staying out of my running life. Um, as far as like, um, coaching goes in high school obviously i have my own high school coach and he like i think if he was i think it was hard for him because like you know coaches especially like they can butt heads right mm -hmm. um i think he was pretty good at that and then in high in college like yeah he'd support me he'd come to my races um always proud of me didn't try to interfere um and then yeah after college we actually we coached a big team together he was my coach um, and he's my dad. And, and like, even I saw him today and I was like, I introduced him to someone at the park and I was like, yeah, we're just like, Oh, this is my dad. We're always together. We were just in Boston together. We were in Jacksonville the week before he was in Phoenix. You know, I'm like, Oh my gosh, you know, like it's a lot, it's a lot to be, with. <laughs> I think it's, you know, it's like, like everyone, like, yeah, I get it. You, you know, like sometimes I look over at him while he's eating and like my blood is just boiling for no reason because i'm like oh god anything your dad's doing is just the worst um <laughs> but you know like i think the most important thing is that like he is so proud of me he wants the best for me he you know he has the best interest at my best interest at heart he is just like my number he like he believes in me so um you know we have an interesting thing where you know like a lot of our relationship is more of like a coach athlete kind of relationship that's like you know we talk about running a lot but like as i get older like we get to talk about more things more philosophical things i ask him more questions and he's very knowledgeable about everything so you know we're kind of getting more in into that but um that's yeah that's it <laughs> Last question, and I'm going to pull something out of that answer that you just gave, but outside of running, I mean, it's what you do as your profession, as an athlete, as a coach, it's been a big part 
of your life. How else do you like to spend your time when you're not running or thinking about running or training other runners, which I imagine is not a lot of time throughout the course of a day or a week, but it's got to be there in some capacity. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm getting better at, um, not being just a runner and not a, being just a coach, which is hard. Cause like, I'm so passionate about it that like my instinct is to like, be like, okay, what do I do next to be a better runner or coach? You know, like I could do that all day if I didn't have a boyfriend that like, isn't a runner, you know, like, thank God, because if, if I did, it would just be like running. And I, I'm like, being a well-rounded person is actually like a very important thing for me um, and for my, my happiness. So I've been getting better and, you know, I try to just like enjoy being with my friends and, and my, my boyfriend. And um, I love traveling. I grew up traveling all over the world. My mom was a flight attendant. So we got basically free standby back in the day. You could just go on standby. So that's very important to me. And like, I realize as I get older, like those things become actually more and more important to me um, for my happiness. So I love eating. I go out to eat. I spend all my money on eating and food. So that's, that's it. You know, it's, it's not like, I wish there was more hours in the day that I could like, I, I could like read more and um, do more. Yeah. You can only make the most of, of what we have. Well, now I've enjoyed this conversation. I wish you the best at Boston next month. And I thank you so much for coming on the morning shakeout podcast. Yeah. Thank you. It was, it was fun. I, I, I very much, I, I'm in a better mood than I was before <laughs> <laughs> for whatever reason. <laughs> I was not in a good mood today. <laughs> but well, I'm glad that I caught you on a good day. This was an incredible conversation. And I guess we will leave it at that. All right, that's it for this episode of the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen into this one. Also, a big thank you to New Balance, Precision Fuel and Hydration, and the Atlanta Journal-Constitution Peachtree Road Race for making it possible. If you're looking for a go-fast chew for workouts and maybe even racing, look no further than the Fuel Cell Rebel V2. I absolutely love this shoe. It's lightweight, low to the ground, and incredibly lively. It is just so fun to run in. I ripped the track workout in it this morning, in fact. It's available in both men's and women's sizes on newbalance.com or at your local run specialty retail store. Check them out and give them a try today. Precision Fuel and Hydration has a wide range of tools and products to help you personalize your fueling and hydration strategy so that you can perform at your best in training and racing. Head over to precisionfuelandhydration.com and use their free online sweat test and quick carb calculator to understand your fluid, electrolyte, and carbohydrate needs during training and racing. Then book a free one-to-one -one video consultation with the team to refine your hydration and fueling strategy for your next race. As a listener of the show, you can get 15% off your first order of fueling and hydration products by using the code TMS22 when you check out at precisionfuelandhydration.com. Member in lottery registration for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution Peachtree Road Race in Atlanta, Georgia is going on right now. 
The race returns this year on Monday, July 4th. Atlanta Track Club members receive guaranteed and lowest price entry. Non-members must enter through the lottery and will be notified if selected on April 4th. In-person registration is only open until March 31st, so get on it today. Virtual registration is open until May 31st. You can register today at AJC.com slash Peachtree. Before we wrap this one up, I'd like to give a shout out, as always, to my man John Summerford of BearsRecords.com. He's produced every episode of the podcast and is the reason this show sounds as good as it does week in and week out. Also, thank you to Jeffrey Stern for the editorial and social media assistance and Chris Douglas for handling sponsorship sales and being my right-hand man. I don't have a big team here at The Morning Shakeout, but these three guys play key roles in helping keep this ship afloat. Last thing, if you're digging the podcast, I encourage you to sign up for my newsletter. It's also called The Morning Shakeout at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe. And you'll get my weekly take on what's happening in the world of running, along with a collection of things that I've been thinking about reading and listening to that you might enjoy getting in your inbox every Tuesday morning. Okay, that's all I've got. I'm Mario Fraioli, and this has been another episode of The Morning Shakeout Podcast. (laughs) 